Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, in this episode, we're going to review some current Bengal news, some headlines, and then we're going to go over the Panthers game in full detail, some observations, the game flow, the opening drive, some key plays, individual performances, just an entire analysis of this great win against the Panthers and this historic game for Joe Mixon. What's up, guys? This is Evan McPherson, and you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Cincinnati Bengals fans. I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. Ever since I can remember, my favorite number has always been eight. But this week, my favorite number is now five. And it represents three different things. First off, five wins now. So we're five and four. We couldn't afford to lose to the Panthers at home. A struggling, rebuilding Panthers team with an interim coach that just traded away their superstar. That's a game that you can't lose. You can't go to four and five and expect to do anything this year. So five wins. We're now five and four heading into the bye as we all hoped and all predicted. The second number five is another five wins. Because over the last eight games, I think it's going to take five wins to get to the playoffs. So five and four now. Give us five more wins. And we have everything that we want. Playoffs in front of us. And then you get hot. You take it from there just like last year. And then the last number five. Joe Mixon, five touchdowns. What a historic game for him. Those are the games that you never forget. I still remember the Marvin Jones four-touchdown game against the Jets back in 2013. And this is one for the ages. We're never going to forget the day that Joe Mixon had five touchdowns. Congratulations, Joe. Congratulations, Bengals. And let's go. Five wins now. Let's end up with 10, 11, 12 and fulfill our destiny and the wishes and dreams of all of us fans. All right, so before we get into the game, let's quickly go over some headlines. So I guess the first headline would be Joe Mixon, 5,000 yards. There's another number five. So he's got 5,000 for his career. Joe Burrow is nearing 10,000 yards passing for his career. We just saw Brady hit 100,000 this week, which is pretty crazy. I mean, no one can expect to play as long as that guy has. But Joe Burrow, 10,000, and it feels like he's barely been in the league. So let's... I mean, come on, I could see Burrow getting 50, 60, 70,000 before he's done. You know, let's hope for that. Let's take it a step at a time. Let's just get a, a couple hundred yards next game against the Steelers and win it. And it was nice to see that they had Adam Jones and Chris Henry's kids as the rulers of the jungle for this week's game. I mean, Adam Jones, he played on some other teams, but you can see the Bengals are his team for life, and I'm glad. I'm glad that he's in good with the organization. He still stays part of the organization, and you can't have a much cooler Bengal than that leading the charge. And he takes in Chris Henry's kids. Great story. One of them's probably going to be playing for us in a few years. I mean, that's the in a perfect world. But excellent choices there for ruler of the jungle. Keep it going, Miss Blackburn. Excellent job. All right, so some transactions and some injury. They waived Dominique Davis, and he got a chance to play this game. They, they brought him to the active roster. They wanted to see what he could do out there. I don't know if they're going to try to bring him back to the practice squad or they're just going to part ways with him. I think this was his big audition game. We're foreseeing DJ Reader coming back soon and Josh Tupo, so they might not need Davis as much. So it looks like he could be a casualty to the numbers. Or as far as injuries go, Chris Evans with a knee injury. I don't know the severity of it, but when you hear knee, you're always thinking the worst. I mean, he hasn't gotten much action this year, and you know he is the most 
underrated Bengal that we all want to see play more and get more time and get more action that hasn't quite happened yet. I hope this isn't a significant injury and it takes him out for the year because we still want to see him contribute. And he's I think he's a secret weapon. I think he's the kind of guy that can come in late in the season, no one's got any tape on him, and he can dominate. But first, let's see if he's healthy, and I'm wishing you the best, Chris Evans, because I, I definitely like your game, and I definitely think that you could be a valuable contributor to this team. And then tough break for the first rounder. Dax Hill goes down with the shoulder injury. And I don't know if you guys saw it, but it was on the touchdown to Tremble, the, the tight end when he scored that first touchdown. And Dax reached out. It was good coverage. He extended his full body, everything, and his shoulder just got pinned and moved a little bit the wrong way. It didn't look good, to be honest with you. I'm hoping that he's okay. I'm hoping it's just he has the bye week and a couple weeks to get back to normal because you don't want to see someone's rookie year just get devastated by an injury and now they're kind of starting over from scratch in year two. So we'll see what happens with him. I didn't like the way it looked, and those shoulders are a nightmare. I've, I've told you guys this before. When I was rehabbing my knee from an ACL you know, years back, I saw the guys that were rehabbing shoulders, and I was like, you know what? I got it better than these guys. It, it was, it just looked like a nightmare. And you would think on paper that an ACL would be more of a nightmare injury than a shoulder. It, it isn't like that. I mean, you can't even like cough and and laugh. That that's that just hurts all the time. It's it's significant. So I'm hoping it's not as major as it appears. But yeah, the rehab for that is no fun. Believe me, I've seen it firsthand. AFC North standings. The Bengals are currently in second place in the AFC North at 5-4. and four. They trail the 5-3 and three Ravens who are playing as I'm recording this, so hopefully the Ravens will be 5-4 and four, and then we'll be in a tie. You have the third place Browns at 3-5, and five, and you have the last place Pittsburgh Steelers at 2-6. and six. And also the Bengals are currently the ninth seed in the AFC. Week 9 review, Cincinnati Bengals 42, Carolina Panthers 21. All right, so let's start off with a few observations from this game. First off, the crowd in Cincinnati has been amazing. We really are starting to build a home field advantage. That's what happens when you go to the Super Bowl and have a franchise quarterback and have a bunch of star players. The fans get more into it. And, you know, Cincinnati fans, we've always stuck by our team, even in those lean years, the the 2-14s, and 14s, the 5-11s, and 11s, you know, that, that whole thing. But now, obviously, the future is a lot brighter, and it's nice to see the crowd coming out, being loyal to the team, you know, just participating in everything, cheering on everyone, cheering on the ruler of the jungle, tailgating, just the whole deal. We're really building a great fan experience in Cincinnati, and, you know, a lot of it is from the organization and Elizabeth Blackburn, but a lot of it is from all you guys and me and all of us that love this team and just are invested in it and give it our all and stay positive and really try to contribute to the team's success. Even getting loud on third downs, that's big. You know, it's hard to be at a stadium and just, you know, every play being yelling in between the play to try to disrupt the offense. And I got to give the crowd credit. They're going for it. And especially on third downs, which is a major time. And I've said it before. I would love to have them have a graphic up in the stadium of the false starts or the delay of games that were caused by the crowd and almost keep track of the crowd's yardage. You know, I don't know, whatever. Hey, negative 125 yards because of the crowd noise. You know, that's that's our way of contributing. We can't get on the field 
and and keep up with any of these guys or score touchdowns and whatnot. But we sure can get the offense to have some penalties and some pre-snap penalties if we're distracting them and they can't hear each other. So excellent job by the Cincinnati Bengals crowd. Can't wait to be joining you for a game in the future. And the weather. The weather has been amazing. These games are like mid-70s. It's a beautiful day to see a game. It's sunny and warm. And here we are in late October, early November, and you're thinking it's going to be the dog days and everything's going to be cold. And, you know, now you, you sharpen your teeth as a cold weather team. It's been a pleasure playing at home for the Bengals. And it's good for the players. It's hard on your on your bones and your joints, you know, playing in, in cold weather like that. And the ground's harder. The ball's harder. The hits are harder. Everything hurts more when you're when you're in, like, really cold weather. So very fortunate to have two really nice weather games when it's about to turn cold. I hope, I hope we get a couple more of them. And the refs this game. There was a flag on basically every kick return. And some crews don't do that. Like, I thought this year has been good. In the past, it's always been like every play, every kick play, you feel like there's going to be a holding penalty or something. And it was like that for a lot of last year, the year before. Historically, I'm thinking that. This year, for some reason, I didn't see as much of it. I don't know if it was an emphasis from the league on the officiating crews to not call it as much, but this crew did not care. They were throwing a flag on every return. Uh, you go count them in the game. I don't know how many returns there were. I didn't count the numbers, but just say there were eight, nine. It had to be like six or seven of them had penalties. Punt returns, kick returns, everything, the whole deal. I just hate when refs get flag happy, and I hate when refs control the game. And a big thing in this game, we know Joe Mixon had the historic day, but I think there was just improved blocking and improved run scheme blocking. Not just the performance of the guys, but the schemes. We had so many guys pulling. We had wide receivers. We had guys going to the second level for blocks. It just seemed like Coach Pollock came up with a a new game plan, not just the standard running plays that we've been running all year. It seems like we thought out of the box for this one with the motions, the pulls, and just everything that contributed to it. And you saw, I mean, you know, the Panthers are, are a pedestrian run defense team. They got a couple good players in there, but we were just eating them up. And I mean, like Joe Burrow said, if you could put up 200 plus rushing yards every week, no one's going to beat the Cincinnati Bengals. And again, you're not going to do that on the Bills. You're not going to do that on some of the better teams in the league, but it's a good start. And hopefully this scheming will continue when we play those teams and we'll have more success on the ground because that'll open up everything. And we know Joe Mixon is an absolute horse. In addition to that, I thought the screen game by the Bengals improved too. We've had a lot of busted screens this year. It hasn't been a massively successful play. And for some reason, we just had the timing of it down this game. And that's what—that's really what it's all about. It's about the timing. You know, you let up your block too soon, then your quarterback's under duress, can't get it out the way he wants. You let up your block too late, then the running back or tight end or whoever's getting the screen doesn't have enough time to get to get clear of everybody. So it really is a timing issue, and we really nailed that this game. And the wide receiver blocking was off the charts. Blocking downfield, being selfless. And it was a game where we weren't relying on the pass as much. You know, normally it's it's Chase, Boyd, Higgins, Hurst, and we're focusing on just, you guys are just catching passes. Now that they have the, the backups in there, it was more like, you know what, you're not going to get nine targets this game, but we're going to ask you to block repeatedly. And those guys did it selflessly, and it really worked. And then a great stat. I think there was one point in the first half. I think I think P.J. Walker had nine yards passing in the first half, I believe. I was tracking it. You know, Fox shows every pass. They start updating the stats. And at one point, I was like, this guy's got less than 10 yards, and, the, and they're almost at halftime. And they had one first down in the first half, and it was on a holding penalty on Taylor Britt. 
and that occurred at 3.06. So they went, what, 27 minutes basically without a first down. Just an incredible effort by the defense and an incredible game by the Bengals. And what happens is we shut down the run game early. We have a good run defense, even without the top two nose tackles, you know, even with some guys banged up. We were in there, we were stopping the run, and then when you're stopping the run and you're scoring on your own, you turn that other team into a one-dimensional team. You know, they have to throw themselves back in the game. They're not going to be able to run it. The clock's going to run out. They need bigger chunks of yards than, you know, four yards in a cloud of dust. So you make a team one-dimensional, and that's exactly what happened here. We scored quick. We got them on a three and out. Then we score a few more times in a row, and it was like the... The Panthers' playbook just shrunk from there, and that's a, a big way, a big contributor to winning games. And Coach Anarumo had a lot of defensive ends dropping, and I always get frustrated with that. I'm always like, I see Hendrickson dropping back, and I'm like, why is he in coverage? He's your best pass rusher. Just don't get fancy and just send him every time. But I saw a lot of that with guys dropping back, and this game it was successful. A lot of times it isn't successful, but in this game it was working out, so I have no complaints with it. But really, if I had my way... I would say don't ever have Hendrickson take a step backwards. You need that guy taking a step forward on every play. And P.J. Walker was bad. No accuracy. I, I just, he wasn't reading the field. He was panicking. Just not a lot of good throws. A lot of very inaccurate throws. Obviously the interceptions. I mean, you know, we can't expect that every week. You know, you have a lot of good quarterbacks coming with Mahomes, Allen, Brady, Lamar Jackson, the whole crew. There's a lot of them coming. And you can't expect them to toss away the game like P.J. Walker did. But, I mean, he had 300 yards last week. He had one of the best passes of the year on that Hail Mary to D.J. Moore. But, man, in this game, he just looked lost throwing the ball, and I'll take it. And, that you know, the, the last two wins have been that. Mariota couldn't get the ball downfield accurately, and P.J. Walker couldn't either. So, as a result, the Bengals really beat up on those two teams. And we'll see what happens when we play the better quarterbacks. But, you know, hopefully we can get those guys to make some mistakes as well. Then another thing, I want to watch the Joe Burrow sneaks. I know he snuck up the middle for a touchdown. He's got a few touchdowns on the year. You'd love to see the guy score. And it was another fourth down play or something, you know, third and short or fourth and short where they, they sent him up the middle. But the play, and, and, you know, ever since Mahomes dislocated his kneecap doing that, I've been a little gun shy to have your franchise guy doing that too much. I know it's an effective play, but in some cases, you got Mixon and Piran. They both can run through a brick wall. Sometimes that's an easier way to get it and a safer way to get it. But Joe hasn't gotten hurt. It's been successful almost every time we tried it. So I, I, I have to defer to Coach Taylor because it is working. But the one that bothered me was when they ran a quarterback draw. I think they were inside the 10, and it was a Joe Burrow draw up the middle. And, you know, sometimes you can outsmart teams, and it works, and boom, you know, you look like the, the biggest genius. And in this case, he got several yards, and then you got into that whole scrum where there's his guys are pushing him from the back. The defensive line is pushing from the front. Linebackers are just cracking in, trying to get their best shot. And I was like, man, you're going to get Joe Burrow hurt in there. He's a strong guy. He's in great shape. But he doesn't have the frame to be bouncing in the middle of the field with all those massive defensive and offensive linemen and, and getting sandwiched in there. So Coach Taylor, Coach Callahan, if you're listening, I just want you to be a little more careful with Joe Burrow because, yeah, it would be fun to have him run up the middle for a draw, for a touchdown, Again, you look like the smartest people in the room, but then if it backfires and he gets banged on one of those and gets really hurt, then it's like, why did we even try that with Joe Mixon and P. Ryan and you know the rest of the cast of characters back there? And back to the refs. 
what do I say? I never blame the refs for a win or for a loss, but man, with the flags on the kicks, and then they robbed Tyler Boyd and Trenton Irwin of touchdowns. If you watched, I think both of those plays were touchdowns. It was Boyd on the left side of the end zone. I mean, it was clear. He had the ball. He was over the goal line, and they they called it a, a catch at the one or the half-yard line, so no touchdown there. And the same thing with Irwin. It was very close with the toe tap, but it looked like he had it too. And two touchdowns denied by the referees, but still, we put up six more, so we didn't need their help. And you can really see how turnovers affect a game. I know that's a common thing. You turn over the ball more than your opponent, you're probably going to lose the game. But there were some key moments in there. We They had the interception to Pratt, which really set us up and enabled us to go up, I believe, three scores at the time. And then the garbage interception to Jesse Bates right at the end of the half enables the Bengals to go up 35 nothing and really put the game away right before the half just because you got sloppy with the ball. So as I said, turnovers are killer, but those two in particular, I mean, that, that swung the game 14 points right there. You know, it could have been a 21 nothing game. You might be able to climb back into it. When you're down five scores, five touchdowns, you're not coming back. And then the Panthers are down 28 nothing at one point. It's a fourth and four. They're getting near midfield. And they punt. I don't know if I would have punted there. I, I I know it's like if you give the Bengals the ball there and they score, the game's out of reach. But at twenty-eight nothing, it's getting out of reach too. You gotta you know you gotta take the chances because time just keeps ticking, and after a while, there's just not enough time to come back. And that was a situation where I would have went for it on a fourth and four. And then that happened later in the game, another fourth and four. They were probably at like the thirty-five, and they punted there too. And at that point, I don't know. They were they were down five touched four or five touchdowns at that point. And that would have been the time to just, you know what, go for it. If you don't get it, they're going to score. The Bengals are going to score. We're losing anyway. I would have given it a try. So in my opinion, some questionable coaching decisions out of the Panthers to not go for those two fourth and fours. And then you could see at the end of the game, they were just ready to go back to Carolina. They were just basically helping us run out the clock for the last half of the fourth quarter. So questionable coaching there. But, you know, that's that's why they have the record they have, I guess. And then you move on to the third quarter. They opened up the third quarter with a long kick return, which enabled them to get their first score. And then what happens? We get the ball, and we just give it to Mixon, and give it to Mixon, and give it to Mixon, and really drain that clock. So very effective. That's the right thing to do. It's not the most fun thing in the world for the fans to watch. You know, we want to see the ball flying all over the field. But when you have that big of a lead, and you have about a half a football to play, you chew up that clock, exactly what we did. And that's why we won the game. And then also back to the officials, I I believe on three or four of our touchdowns, there was a flag. So you couldn't even properly celebrate because the flag is down. You're wondering, is it a hold? Is it this? Is it that? It ended up being a defensive penalty in every circumstance, but it was just weird. So you see the players celebrating. Us as fans want to celebrate as well, but now we have to wait for the officials to get their TV time and let us know who the penalty's on. But yeah, it happened a bunch. Like I said, every kick had a penalty. Every touchdown seemed to have a penalty, but basically worked in our favor in almost all of the instances. Baker Mayfield comes in. I don't know what's going on with him. If he was healthy enough to play half of the game, they probably just should have had him start the game because he was way more effective than P.J. Walker. And Mayfield is a Bengal killer, and he ends up leading three touchdown drives in this game, but a lot of it was meaningless. You know, one of them was against the backups. One of them was because of a long kick return. So it wasn't just Baker Mayfield carving us up again, but... Just We seem to have trouble with that guy, but it was nice to be on the winning side and you know have him sulk off in the distance. And thank you, Coach Taylor, for listening to me 
we pulled the starters with like three minutes to go in the third quarter. Burrow was out of there, and then we slowly replaced everybody else. That's what you have to do. When you're winning that big, there's no reason to have your players in there, especially players that are that are a little compromised, like even like a Jonah Williams, although they left him in there longer than most. You know, he's battling a sprained MCL. Get him out. T. Higgins battling an ankle. Get him out. You know, just the, everybody. So very smart coaching decisions to say, this game is over. We're not going to be foolish. Let the backups get some work in. Protect all the starters. And now the starters have like, they had basically half this game to rest and a whole week, then a bye, then a whole week. That's a lot of time to get healthy, get right, and for the injured guys to heal. And it was nice to see the backups get some time against starters and also at home. It's nice. You're playing in your home park. Maybe some of these guys never really get into the lineup, and here they are getting significant snaps. Good to see. Just great on all ends. You protected your starters, and you got your backups experience. Just a total win in every sense of the word. All right, so on to the flow of the game. What happens? Our first drive, we basically had no negative plays on that whole drive. We just marched down a mix of five passes and four runs, every play basically succeeding, 7 nothing Bengals, just set the tone. It was almost like I felt the game was almost over there by the way we were moving the ball. Then the Panthers go three and out. We get it back, we punt, but then we hold them to three and out again. Their tight end dropped a very catchable ball. So again, sometimes you need some breaks. Sometimes you need a little bit of luck. Defense was playing lights out. That could have been a first down and continuing that drive. Tremble drops the ball. So whatever it takes, we take the momentum. We come back, long touchdown drive with balance between the run and the pass, take some time off the clock. We're up 14-0. Then we hold them to another three and out. And then from there, the floodgates opened. You know, it was like Monopoly. All right, 14-0, now it's 21-0. Now it's 28-0. Now it's 35-0. And then, again, the second half starts. They get the long return. They get a couple junk touchdowns late, but it ends up being... 42-21. I mean, maybe with the starters in there and you don't let up that kick, that probably could have been like a 49-7 game. But I'm not complaining about a 21-point victory. And how did we come out? Opening drive. So this is what you plan for all week. You know, a lot of teams have their first X amount of plays charted and ready to go. And we did a really good job. First play, four wides, quick pass to Higgins. Then we send Mixon up the middle. Then we do a nice crossing route to Hurst over the middle. Then you do an out to Higgins, beautiful throw by Burrow. Then you do a turnaround to Boyd, beautiful throw by Burrow. And then you do a screen to Mixon where he lights it up. We'll go over this play in a little bit, 35 yards there. Mixon comes out after running 35 yards down, give him a a breather, and they go Pirine to the right. Then Mixon comes back in, up the middle, and then Mixon left for a touchdown. So if you look at that first drive, they got everybody involved, and that was probably the game plan. And when they saw Mixon was the hot hand, they favored him. But you had, what, two passes to Higgins, a pass to Boyd, a pass to Hurst, a pass to Mixon. You had Mixon running a few times. You had Piran running a few times. So you really just just let it all out on the opening drive. It was very successful, and it set the tone for the game. I always like to go over the sacks in the game to see what's going on with the offensive line. And in this one, I believe there was only one, and it was Jonah. They were in the red zone, and Jonah got pushed back by a much smaller Burns on that play and got to Joe. It's just a matter of leverage. Like, obviously, Jonah Williams is bigger and stronger than Burns, but Burns just got underneath him, and Jonah lost leverage, got pushed back, and allowed his ninth sack of the season, unfortunately. All right, so let's go over some key plays. 
So a bunch of key plays in this game. We'll just highlight some of the more exciting ones. So the first one, I believe the biggest play early in the game was the mix and screen for 35 yards on the first drive. So what do we do? We have three wides and a tight end in there mixing in the backfield. Everyone releases downfield. And, you know, the secondary and second level is, is all going back with all these receivers, and they perfectly timed the screen. You had Kappa sealing his block. You had Volson really getting out in front. Karras got out there downfield. Mixon's running behind him, just explodes, shows his speed and shows his vision and shows how hungry he is to succeed. And that was just a massive play early in the game. And then shortly after that, we have Mixon with a 29-yard run in the first quarter. And that was another four wides, but one of them was a tight end. And you had Volson and Jonah pull. And the other three guys, Collins, Kappa, and Karras, all got really good push on there. And then you have Wilcox blocking downfield. So that was what I said earlier. I mean, they have two guys pulling, the other three guys doing their job. They have a tight end blocking downfield. It's, it was just a great schematically blocked game. And on that, you saw Mixon again with the speed and the vision, 29 yards, set up another score, and again, set the tone for a huge day for him. Third big play was the Pratt interception. And again, I think this comes down a little bit to coaching and bad quarterback play. So they were in a three tight end set. They do a play action, and really there's like one receiver out in the route. And we had three guys all around them, and Walker panics and throws it into basically triple coverage. Pratt reads his keys, plays smart, backs up, grabs the ball, and then he's on his way. And I was like, please hold the ball. Don't fumble the ball because he was he was carrying it a little bit loosely, and I didn't want somebody to come up from behind and slap it away. But great play by our defense and really bad coaching and performance and execution by the Panthers there. Fourth big play was the Bates interception. It happens at 109 and a half. Now that's a point with the Panthers. You're down by a lot right now. I know you need to kind of throw yourself throw your way back into the game, but not like this. So in this case, they had three wides and a tight end, and he just forces it into double coverage. He, they had, you had Eli Apple in front of the receiver, and you had Jesse Bates coming behind the receiver, and Walker just didn't have the skill on this particular play to drop it in there. Instead, he kind of sailed it over everybody. Bates makes a leaping interception, runs it back, but man, he got drilled by that tight end. He wasn't expecting it, a really heavy-duty hit, but when you get an interception, you'll take a hit like that, and you don't even care. So glad that he was okay. And this basically ended the game at this point. It set us up for yet another score before half, and it just closed the door on them. And I, I would say this was – the game was probably over long before this, but at that moment in the game, I'm like, all right, well, this is a guaranteed win. Next big play, Mixon receiving touchdown. Five wides. You have pressure coming from the right. Burrow rolls outside the pressure and throws on the run. And what was going on, the receivers all broke off their routes and kind of, you know, like I said, find the quarterback's eyes and be a target for him, an available target to help out. And you had basically three wide receivers cramming into that small area of the field. So all the action was going into that corner of the end zone. And Joe Burrow did what he does. He had great mobility. He got outside on the run. A perfect throw to Mixon in a lot of traffic. You had your three wide receivers. You had three guys covering him. You had another guy coming over. And you had a guy pursuing. You had two guys pursuing Burrow in the backfield. So sensational play on all fronts. Great catch by Mixon, but an even better performance by Joe Burrow on that one. And the last play that I wanted to highlight is the Mixon 15-yard rushing touchdown. You had three tight ends in there, so it was a big formation. And you have Jonah and Asiasi sealing that edge. Asiasi is a great blocker. 
And then Mixon just kind of took off down the sideline, and no one could get over there fast enough. He showed his speed, but the tight end and the left tackle really did seal off that side. So excellent performance by those guys, and Mixon did the rest. All right, so let's quickly go over some individual performances. Joe Burrow, outstanding as always. He threw when he had to. He managed the game properly. This wasn't a game where Burrow had to win it with his arm. It was obviously won mostly with Mixon's legs and the blocking and the blocking schemes. But even with that said, Burrow had a 109 passer rating. He was throwing excellently from the pocket and from out of the pocket and on the move. He's just he's really accurate outside the numbers. And again, if you haven't played quarterback before, that's a really tough throw. You know, even if it's only 10 yards down the field, but you're going outside the numbers, you know, you could tack on another 10, 15 yards to that throw. So those outs and those sideline routes are tough to throw, especially if you're throwing from the middle of the field or the opposite hash. And Burrow has the arm strength and the accuracy to get it there. And Burrow continues not to just complete passes, but he's placing the ball nearly perfectly. As I said, not putting receivers in harm's way, giving the receivers a chance to do something after they catch the ball, just like high-level quarterback play, not just, oh, you're open, here's the ball, all right, I completed the pass. No, you're, you're like completing the pass perfectly and enabling other things to happen as a result of that completion, not just a rough contested catch and a tackle. You're allowing guys to do more after they get the ball, and that's what I'd like to call a great feel for the position. We all know that's Joe Burrow's M.O. And I highlighted the big throw to Mixon before on the run. He did the same exact thing to Trenton Irwin on the play before. They just didn't call it a touchdown. They ruled him out. But basically two plays in a row, the exact same thing, rolling away from pressure, throwing on the move, throwing to a tight window on on a covered guy on the sideline, and just being Joe Burrow. His mobility was great. He was effective on his sneaks, as we talked about. And he doesn't care about getting hit. I was making that observation during the game. There's a couple times he got off the ball, and he got popped, and he just doesn't even care. A lot of quarterbacks get gun-shy. He just, he's unfazed by it, and it just adds such a different level to his game. It, it makes him so much more of a leader and someone to respect. And, you know, the guys respect a quarterback that can take a hit because the other guys are, you know, playing a much more physical game than the average quarterback. And Burrow's showing, hey, you know, I, I can mix it up too, and I'm not going to cry about it. And that's a, that's a big-time leader, and it really rubs off on his teammates. All right, on to running back Joe Mixon. Obviously, the best game of his career as a pro. But what I liked about him is he never sulked or got down. Like, he wasn't having a great stat year up to this point. But he was never like, I want the ball more, the blocking's not good, X, Y, Z. You know, he just stayed the course, continued to work hard, continued to be a great positive teammate. And here he was having a huge game. And don't sleep on it. Games like this add to your dollar value. Like I said last week, you know, you get some sacks, some interceptions, that makes you more valuable. Even if you had 12 phenomenal plays, but you didn't put up any stats, or you just have one good play and it's a sack, th- those are things that kind of line your pockets, unfortunately. And and for Joe Mixon to have five touchdowns in this game, that's going to bode well for him on his touchdown total. Because, again, that's what people look at. So at the end of the year, you might see Mixon with 14 touchdowns, hopefully more, but you forget that five of them came in one game. But who cares? For his sake, it's good to have those numbers out there Because like I said, it does increase his value. And a technical analysis of the way he played this game, he was running hard as always. He looked really fast. He looks healthy and quick and fast. He punishes defenders. He was making jump cuts. He was making people miss. He was running over people. He was breaking tackles. And he was finishing runs. And he has that great vision. That's just a trait of great running backs. They, 
They can be in a crowd and they just see or feel where to go. He's showing reliable hands in the past game, which he's done all year. And I'm hoping that this starts him on a nice run, momentum, stay healthy, ride the high from this game, and just explode the second half of the year. Because if, if Mixon gets on track and he's unstoppable, we all know our passing game is virtually unstoppable too when everything's going right. So there's your Super Bowl berth if things can continue to ride like this. And P. Ryan had a productive game as well. He had a couple nice long runs. His blocking was efficient. Didn't have much in the past game, but that's okay. All right, on to wide receiver, tight end. Tyler Boyd had a couple good catches in this game for first downs. You know, underrated. You know, He didn't light up the stat sheet, but he had some very productive plays for us. Just being Tyler Boyd, blocking, making big catches, getting first downs. And Higgins had a bunch of first down catches. Not just catches for first downs, but like nice large chunk plays on first down, which opens up your playbook. I mean, he's been a consistent go-to receiver, whether Chase is in there or not. Always catching the ball with his hands, not, you know, jumping and trying to catch it with his body. And as I said, I'm glad that we got him out of there because he is nursing that ankle. And the more rest for him, the better, because he's going to be a major contributor to this playoff run. And Hayden Hurst with the energy, he just gets me pumped up. Every time he catches the ball, he runs as hard as he can to try to break tackles. And, you know, when when he's down on the ground, gets back up, he's spinning the ball, he's all fired up and... It's just, it's just good. He's showing a lot of energy, and he's another one. He's not catching the ball with his body. He's catching the ball with his hands. That's the way you play the position. You don't jump up at the last second and let the ball hit you in the chest because you're trying to prevent a hit. You know, you don't jump when you don't have to jump, and a lot of receivers do that. I don't, I don't know how anyone on the NFL level still does that, but you see a lot of it. But guys like Hurst and Higgins, they're plucking the ball out of the air with their hands, and that's the proper way to be a receiver in football. Trent Taylor had a nice game. I mean, he was blocking well. He had a couple nice jet sweeps, broken tackles. Uh, had a good reception early in the game. Had some nice punt returns. So just a total contributor. And again, another guy that I think we should involve more in this offense. Don't just say he's our punt returner, no snaps from scrimmage. He shows that he can do a lot. He's versatile. He could be a gadget guy. He's got good hands. He's got good moves. And Trent Irwin always performs when he's in there. I'd love to see him get, get a chance. He almost had the touchdown, and you could see everybody was pulling for him. I mean, they had him and Burrow on the screen for a while at the same time, and you could just see Burrow couldn't wait for it to be called a touchdown so he can congratulate his friend. And unfortunately, it didn't go that way. And he's going to be a hard guy to keep around. I think the more tape that's out there on him, someone's going to give him bigger money to move on next year. I, I mean, I hope it doesn't happen. I'd love to keep him in stripes. But just look out for that. I could see him going somewhere else and, you know, being like a third wide receiver in some system and putting up decent numbers. And then back to the receivers with the blocking. Stanley Morgan, and I don't want other teams to be listening to this, but when Stanley Morgan is in there, you know it's going to be a run play. And I want to see the Bengals get a little less predictable with that, but that's been the case right now. So when I see number 17 in there, I'm like, oh, it's a run play. Offensive line, they were getting to the second level. They only let up one sack. Volson is getting better each week. And we all know the flaws in him up to this point have been leverage, which he's fixing, and getting fooled by exotic blitzes. And the Panthers tried that a couple times. They sent a linebacker his way one time. They sent a safety his way one time. Just trying some tricks and games. And that's some stuff that has confused him in the past, but he was all over at this game. So another game of growth for Volson. 
and uh, I'm starting to get used to him in that starting lineup. Kappa and Karras, excellent as always. Major additions to this offensive line. They very rarely let us down. I thought Lyle Collins had a great game blocking in the run game. Obviously didn't let up a sack, so a very good game for him too. And Jonah, although I get on him, he let up the sack. It never looks good. Nine sacks on the year. You know, everything that we said before. I think he had a good, effective game blocking in the run game. So that was nice to see him have a successful day too. So offensive line did very well this game. There's going to be some bigger challenges like Pittsburgh coming up and, you know, obviously who we're playing down the stretch. But in this game in particular, offensive line held up, and it's it's great to see because when Joe Burrow's comfortable back there, sky is the limit. And when you're blocking for Mixon and there's holes, and this was one of the first games this year where there were glaring holes and, and second-level effective blocking, and you saw what happened. You know, Burrow put up whatever numbers we needed, completed any pass that you needed, and Mixon put up one of the best days in Bengal history from a running back. On to the defensive line. Hubbard continues to play excellently, both in the run game and the passing game. B.J. Hill is a huge, silent contributor to the effectiveness of this running game. He's all over the field, and he's, he's really having a stellar season, and he's been worth every penny. And although at the time I wanted to keep Ogunjobi and not Hill, I, I think if you look at the performances, Hill is outperforming Ogunjobi this season. And Trey Hendrickson, no sacks, but a disruptive game. He almost had the interception. That was a bullet throw, though. Those defensive linemen aren't used to catching the ball when it's coming out that hot. And Mayfield threw a dart. Hendrickson, it kind of took him by surprise, went right through his hands. Not expected to catch that one. Somebody made a joke if he had gloves on, would he have caught that? But I don't think he's catching that either way. But again, you're not seeing him come up in the stat sheet. And that at the end of the year, if we're like, oh, he only had eight sacks, what a disappointment. He's been very disruptive this year and effective pretty much every time he's in there. So although the stats aren't there, just like kind of with Mixon, he's contributing to wins and good effort. So no complaints about Hendrickson this year. So you guys, if you're looking later in the year and he doesn't have double-digit sacks, it doesn't mean that it was a down year for him. On to linebacker, Pratt had the nice interception. Logan Wilson had a low-key, really good game too. No big splash plays, but just basically in the right spot at the right time all the time and showing good movement to the ball, and showing toughness. Very happy with Logan Wilson's performance in this game. And then you had Bailey and ADG come in the game late, and they both got a bunch of tackles. So that's nice. Your your backup linebackers are contributing, putting up some numbers, showing that they belong in there too. You can never have enough linebackers. That's a very dangerous position that can get thin real quick, and these backups are showing that they belong in the NFL. And then lastly, on to defensive back, I thought... Eli Apple played another good game. He has the hamstring injury. It's not fun to run with a bad hamstring. I don't know if it was the rehab, the stim, they shot him up. Whatever whatever they did, he was able to run downfield with the receivers all game. He had a really nice play on Marshall early, the first drive of the game where he punches the ball out after Marshall seemingly pulls it in. He made a stop in the end zone. So Eli Apple, very good game out of him, even though his hamstring wasn't up to 100%. He had the Jesse Bates interception, and he was pretty rangy the whole game. Again, you're not seeing a lot of big splash plays out of him this year, but it doesn't mean that he's not contributing, and the interception at that time basically sealed the game, so you can you can almost call him like a closer for this game. And then Cam Taylor-Britt, it's nice to see him get action in a, in a game that we're winning because we need him to ramp up, especially with Awuzie out for the year, and this was basically his third game, and He's growing every game, so valuable experience for him. He did a great job on DJ Moore. 
He let up the one touchdown, but you couldn't have had better coverage than he had on that play on the Marshall touchdown. So he's showing up, and I'm very happy. You know, I thought this year might have been a waste for him when he had that core injury early. It took him a while to find his way back to the squad. But look, he's starting at corner on an island out there and, and doing the job and the willingness to tackle. He's, he's exactly as advertised as a physical corner with good tackling skills who's not afraid of contact. So if you have a guy with his speed and he improves his coverage ability, which is already seemingly pretty decent, and he's willing to help out in the run game, that's, that's a well-rounded corner and very happy with his performance in this game as well. And Jalen Davis was excellent. He's like a Trent Irwin. Whenever he's in there, he plays well. He shut down the slot receiver. He was doing. He was acting like Mike Hilton. He was in the backfield. He was stopping the run. He was blitzing. It was like Hilton's not here, but Jalen Davis, you're going to do exactly what we would want at a Hilton. So that was nice. You didn't have to compromise your your style or your strategy or your game plan because he filled in perfectly and he had a great game. And I want to see more of him. And Alan George, great story, comes up to the active roster and is out there on an island at left corner for a, for a bunch of the fourth quarter. Valuable experience for him. I don't know even know if he let up a pass. So good debut, way to get his confidence up, and way to ramp up another corner that you might need if, if injuries persist. And then lastly, Von Bell, just solid all over, as always. Again, no big splash plays. You didn't hear his name a lot, but just always in position, covering guys, blitzing, helping out in the run game, just doing everything that a star safety should be doing. So that's it. Five and four for the Bengals. A lot of momentum. Two-week period to rest everybody. And then we're going to face a Steelers team that's having a hard time putting points on the board. Pickett's struggling a little bit. And they don't have T.J. Watt to harass Joe Burrow. So things are looking good. If we can beat the Steelers, go six and four, we're that much closer to hitting our dream this year of being Super Bowl champions. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to be our bi-week version of the Unofficial Bengals podcast. We're going to go over some mid-season grades. We're going to go over the remainder of the schedule, the prognosis for the future, the hopes and dreams of us Bengal fans. We're going to welcome in some special guests, and we're also going to have a roundtable. So it's going to be a really exciting, packed episode. Definitely hope to see you guys there. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music. Definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast.